Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. As the coronavirus pandemic lingers on, a return to the office seems far off for millions of employees. Some companies, such as Google, Twitter, and Square, plan to keep workers home for at least another year. Working from home has worked out better than some expected, but it comes with many challenges. And coming up on Forum, we'll discuss the new age of working from home. And we want to hear from you, whether you're an employer or an employee, how is working from home playing out for you? You can give us a call right now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786 or email us forum at kqed.org. Welcome to this morning's forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Tech giant Google said on Monday it would delay bringing workers back to the office until the summer of 2021. The company's decision reflects a massive change that started in March when millions of white-collar employees shifted to working from home. While many workers don't have the option of working remotely, the pandemic forced many to do so. And some employers were pleasantly surprised at how productive their workers could be without the office setting. Freedom from commutes and strict working schedules has been a boon to many workers who now have more time to cook, exercise, and sleep. And still, some workers may find it harder to thrive from behind a computer screen. We talked to experts about the shift to working from home and whether it's a sustainable model for the long term. And joining us is Dr. Courtney McClooney, Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior at Cornell University School of Industrial and Labor Relations. And welcome to the program. Good to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Good to have you. Also good to have uh, Laurel Farr, who joins us as well for this hour, founder of Distribute Consulting and the Remote Work Association. Welcome, Laurel Farr. Thank you so much for having me here. Good to have you. And we'll also welcome here uh, David Streitfeld, who is a reporter with The New York Times who covers this issue. And David Streitfeld, welcome to the program. Hi, happy to be here. Glad to have you as well. And let me say also by way of introduction that we're seeing a, a pretty major shift here, though, largely with white collar and tech companies. And the real question is, are we, well, Nicholas Bloom, for example, Stanford economist says, it's no longer an information economy, uh, nor is it for that matter, a gig economy. It's a working from home economy. Uh, can we go that far at this point, David? I, I think we are evolving to that point. A lot of what will happen with working from home depends on the pandemic in this country. Unfortunately, there, the trend is down. The longer it goes on, the more people are going to get used to making alternative arrangements, uh, including working from home. 
Nevertheless, uh, company cultures are changing. It seems like it's a growing phenomenon, and especially during the pandemic, maybe here to stay. Um, let's just talk with you about what it's doing, particularly as far as the companies are concerned. It's certainly opening up hiring. Uh, now they can kind of hire from anywhere. A lot of these big companies required with their big campuses that people go down there, not anymore. They can hire, I think, as you said, from India or Indiana. Yeah, they, they can hire from anywhere, which is good for the companies. It's a double-edged sword for the employees. If I was working at Google or a tech company last year and commuting into their office, I only had to compete to get that job with the other people who were living in the area and could compete and, and could uh, you know compete with me to get that job. Now the companies can cast their net over most of the world. I'm going to have to up my game as an employee. Well, it's so, also, with, excuse me, I was just going to say, it's also more difficult for employees to organize, and it could mean lower wages, uh, certainly lower wages on the hiring side. Right, it lower wages, which would benefit the companies. Yeah. They would make more money. They would also have lower real estate costs if they have fewer offices. So there's a lot of potential for them. The downside for the companies is if they lose company culture, the the employees may not be as creative. They may not be as interested in the company succeeding as they once were. They're going to be detached from it. So for both sides, the employees and the companies, there seem to be risks as well as rewards here. Yeah, and uh, to some extent, I think it comes down to um, an individual perspective. I mean, it's hard to establish a consensus here, isn't it? Every worker has a different perspective. Right. And I think uh, with each one, there will be a different story. Some will move and contribute remotely and flourish. Some will move, contribute remotely, and then find their job has been outsourced to someone else. So it's a, it's a very nervous time for people. And I think that is why productivity really went up in March. People were afraid and they worked they are still working extremely hard. I'm not sure they can keep doing that and working, you know, 20 hours a day, as some of them tell me they are, for six months, a year, two years. Eventually, things will have to level off. And again, David Streitfeld is a reporter of the New York Times who covers this issue that we are covering about remote work. And Laurel Farr, again, is founder of Distribute Consulting and the Remote Work Association. And uh, Laurel Farr, I think it goes without saying that many people find quality of life benefits uh, individually and businesses, as we said with David, uh, find uh, certainly advantages in terms of cost and all, uh, and, and communities can benefit from this. But there's a lot of concern about um, how people can advance, especially when they can't see their managers or how they can work off site without being seen themselves. Absolutely. This is a common concern when employers don't initiate the change management process correctly. When they think of this as just a workplace change and they just allow people to work from a different location and no changes are made internally to operations, then yes, we absolutely see major causes for concern. In fact, that's where we saw the infamous retraction cases of IBM and Yahoo that had to call people back into the office. There was a sustainability problem because of the concerns that you're talking about, the 
isolation, the burnout, um, and the, the career stagnancy. However, when a company does initiate that change management successfully and accurately with intention and is equalizing employee experience between on-site and off-site workers, then all of those problems are eliminated. And that's where we really optimize the access to the rewards that we're discussing, such as, um, you know, corporate rewards, cost reductions, improved quality of life for employees, et cetera. But how do you democratize? By that, I mean, uh, it's a necessity, one would argue, and I would, uh, for everybody to have a voice, for every employee to have a voice, and uh, sort of an isolation here. Everything's virtual. Yeah, absolutely. It is even more important for everybody to have a voice in a distributed company because everybody is self-managers. Autonomy is really the key of the future of business and, and distributed teams are no different. So this is really about delegating more and empowering workers at a much, much higher level so that the collaboration has to increase. That's how we know what is going on with everybody when we can't see them is increased communication, increased culture, increased trust. All of those have to increase in order for operations uh, to be successful. There's also an increase in just the number of questions. I was thinking about uh, if you have an accident at home in your home office, can you file uh, or be entitled to workers' compensation? Questions like that. But I want to get your response, Laura Farr, to uh, a headline on this subject in the Wall Street Journal. They said, uh, Projects will take longer, collaboration is harder, uh, and uh, for that matter, uh, new workers are going to find it more difficult uh, uh, just in the long run uh, as well as in the short run. So um, they're saying it's not sustainable. At least the article in the journal said that. Yeah, with incorrect uh, change management, absolutely. That's 100% accurate. Um, this is just like learning how to drive a car, right? If you're not trained on this, then you're going to crash the car. However, if you're trained and, and equipped and really understand the mechanics of the vehicle, then you can really um, improve your quality of life and get to your destination much faster. And this is no different. This is the future of business with new uh, management strategies, new operation cycles and workflows, new tools. We can absolutely enhance and, and really improve how business operates, but we have to go into this very responsibly and intentionally with the proper training. Talking about the major shift to working from home, and I want to go to Dr. Courtney McClooney, who's also with us, Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior at Cornell University School of Industrial Labor Relations, who wrote an excellent article with Laura Morgan Roberts uh, in the Harvard Business Review called Working from Home While Black. And let, let's talk about just uh, specifically what it means uh, now, particularly not only in the pandemic, what was described as the double pandemic about uh, the concern over racial justice and all of the headlines about um, African-Americans being killed by police officers and so forth. I mean, you have all the normal difficulties and the normal impediments uh, when it, and obstacles when it comes to uh, working remotely. But you say in the article that uh, unique challenges for blacks. Let's talk about those from your perspective. Absolutely. Um, so as you said, there are multiple pandemics that are occurring. Uh, one, the coronavirus pandemic is disproportionately affecting communities of color. And although most, as you said, professional workers are allowed to work from home, uh, Black and Latinx workers in particular are overrepresented in the service economy, have been deemed as essential workers during this pandemic, and also are the highest rates of infections and deaths across this country. Um, so dealing with the grief and sense of loss that is happening in communities of color is certainly one aspect of the coronavirus pandemic. 
Um, on top of that, there is, as you said, the ongoing violence and, and the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and ongoing list of names of people who have been policed and um, violently taken from this country uh, through police violence. So on top of grieving that, one of the things my co-authors and I wrote several years ago, uh, following the 2016 shooting of Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, the Dallas police shooting, we wrote about calling in Black to work and this desire to take time away so that people can grieve and actually deal with the mental and emotional toll that comes from witnessing this police violence. Now, adding that to working from home, working remotely, uh, Black workers in particular are disproportionately represented in professional work environments. So not only are they being forced to work from home and underrepresented in these spaces, they're now inviting their coworkers into what was once considered a sacred space, home away from work, a place where they can be their cultural authentic selves, not worry about comments on their hair, for instance, or the type of food that they enjoy. And companies that seek to increase engagement with their workers want the videos on. They want to see your artwork, see your children, um, but that increases the sense of stereotyping that could happen. Uh, of Black workers who are perceived as less professional in this work from home environment, especially as our salons are closed, we're no longer allowed to get our hair done or our hair cut, and there's stereotypes attached to Afrocentric hairstyles that would make someone seem less professional at work. So all these things are sort of happening simultaneously, um, making it really difficult to work from home as a Black person. Yeah, you're right about uh, the fact that you, you can do code switching, which I guess uh, boils down, at least in the article, to appearing pro as professional as possible and maybe even work towards some kind of assimilative image. But uh, when you're at home, you're at home. Exactly. And it's such a nuance to the code switching argument because my previous article in HBR from November 2019 talked about all of the downsides of code switching at work. When Black people are not allowed to be authentic, they're less creative. There's lots of cognitive um, implications for worrying about how you speak and what, what you wear and what you look like. Um, so you would think that working from home would reduce the need to code switch and that would actually increase uh, Black workers' productivity. But we are seeing that code switching is a survival strategy and when you're no longer able to do it, it increases other um, forms of stereotypes and complications with working with your colleagues who may not be as familiar with your work from home life. Um, so it's really fascinating to see both of these things kind of happening um, and creating a complex work environment. I want to bring our listeners into this discussion, and this is an opportunity for you to ask questions about working remotely or bring in your own experience. In fact, uh, what has been your experience with working from home? What's it been like? And if you're an employer wrestling with how to operate in the future, give us a call. You can do that now at 866-733-6786 and be part of the program. Again, the number for your calls is 866 733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. Let's bring in Phoebe as our first caller. Phoebe, welcome. You're on the air. Hi, this is Phoebe calling in from San Francisco. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Um, I've been working from home for a couple of months now, and I just want to say I feel really, really lucky to have a job in these crazy times um, and have a company that's been easy to work with. And I think overall we've all adjusted. One thing I've found to be really helpful is um, every Monday we spend 15 minutes just kind of starting off the day and going through some company updates and everyone puts their video on as sort of a mandate. And just having that really small way to stay connected with each other in a way that feels informal 
I think has been really helpful in providing some normalcy. I've just been surprised by how long that, how far that 15 minutes go. So I would recommend that to people if they're looking for a way to stay connected. And thanks for that recommendation. Laura Farr, uh, you have a lot of experience. That sound good to you as a technique? Yep. Absolutely. That's a reinforcement of what I mentioned earlier, that communication is really what bonds and unifies distributed teams. We don't have proximity to lean on in terms of keeping us um, or, or giving us the false sense of reality that we are truly unified and aligned in our vision and productivity. Um, we really have to put our money where our mouth is and, and communicate with each other and make sure that we actually are on the same track. So yes, checking in often with your team, being more transparent, more consistent, more frequent, more empathetic in communication will go a long, long way in uh, connecting with your virtual team members. Thank you're right you about what you describe as asynchronous communication. Is that what you're talking about here? Asynchronous exactly. communication? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So connecting and balancing both synchronously and asynchronously. And for those listeners that um, aren't familiar with those terms, synchronous mean real time at the same time, same place. Um, so like the conversation that we're having right now, Michael. Um, but then asynchronous is you're having that same conversation, just not at the same time. So that's going to be text messages or, or direct messages one to another that can extend over a longer period of time. Let me thank Phoebe for her call and go right to another caller, and that's Brandy. Brandy, join us. You're on the air. Hi, Brandy from Oakland. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I really appreciate the um, discussion around how working from home or even having the ability to work from home is affecting Black communities. And I want to add to that, as a Black woman have and a mother, having the lines um, blurred between work and home increases the stress. Um, women tend to be the ones kind of running the household uh, more often. They share, you know, they hold a higher burden in terms of, you know, buying clothes and fixing meals and things like that. And um, it's been very difficult to to have those lines blurred and not have kind of the sacred space of going to work and just doing work there. Now everything has been, you know, is being done in the same space. Yeah, thank you for that, Brandy. And let me go back, if I can, to you, Professor McClooney. Uh, this is uh, Courtney McClooney from Cornell's uh, Industrial and Labor Relations. It, it seems to me, when we talk about challenges for African-Americans uh, or people of color, we're also talking about extraordinary challenges for people whose kids are not in school, um, whatever color they may be. Absolutely. Women are certainly facing a disproportionate amount of work during this pandemic and similar to actually opposite from the recession of 20, 2008, when that was more financial affected more male occupations. This recession is disproportionately affecting women because of schools being canceled and the expectation for mothers to engage in caregiving roles. Um, so the lack of childcare means that a lot of women are putting their careers on hold or having to manage multiple things in the household. And that is true across all racial groups, uh, disproportionately affecting low income households as well, where some of these mothers are also essential workers and possibly bringing home the pandemic to their children, which happened in Detroit and actually led to the death of a young child who contracted COVID from their parents who had to work during this pandemic. So it is a lot of things going on related to mothering and household responsibilities. And if I could go back to you, uh, David Straitfeld, uh, it, it, it appears that you've got about 35% uh, of the population who are poor, unemployed, no internet in the home uh, at all, and the unemployment numbers are going up. This is a, I hate to put it so um, bluntly, but a time bomb for inequality. Uh, it's going to 
certainly have a great deal of effect on city centers. And we could talk about the impact uh, till the cows come home, so to speak. But it, it, just in terms of economic inequality, uh, let's get your thoughts. I think it could certainly accelerate economic inequality. It could, you know, frankly, it has the potential to increase the misery for almost every worker. Uh, one aspect, even if you're able to work from home, if you're in the group that can isolate and do the work uh, remotely, there's the large problem of just where the borders are with work. And 20 years ago, even many white collar jobs, you had to be in your office to do that. Now you can't be in the office at all. You've got to do it all from home. Do you stop at five o'clock the way maybe you did when you had to catch the subway home? Do you come back after dinner and work till nine o'clock? If you're young and ambitious and want to get ahead, maybe you work till 12. Does that mean the people with children to take care of work until one? There's a huge amount of potential misery that can be generated by this in addition to the benefits. All sorts of inequalities can increase. Well, even within the household, I was thinking about these dual career couples uh, invading each other's workspace. They have children interrupting their meetings at inappropriate times. They've got, in many cases, caregiving for elder family members and Zoom fatigue. I mean, you can just go through a kind of laundry list here and catalog it all. Uh, but let me bring another caller aboard, and that's Christopher joining us from Soledad. Christopher, welcome. Good morning. Thank you, Michael. Hi. Uh, yeah, I think this ties into uh, perhaps Zoom fatigue or uh, Internet fatigue. I wanted to bring up the issue um, as a teacher working in the Salinas Valley in regards to uh, my service through AT&T being throttled or my bandwidth being slowed down at critical times when I'm trying to connect with students uh, via Zoom meetings, et cetera. That's a big problem. And uh, Laura Farr, let me get you to address that. Uh, I mean, people are not only getting Zoom invasions uh, or invasions on Zoom from all kinds of uh, bizarre and surreal, uh, and shall we say, in some cases, uh, obviously unwelcome uh, sources, but uh, just the problems mechanically. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to recognize that remote work as a concept and as an industry has gone through this incredible hyper growth over the past four months. I mean, uh, the equivalent of about 10 years of industry development was smashed into less than two weeks. And so there are a lot of infrastructure preparedness and readiness conversations that were going to happen over the next few years of industry development that just haven't happened yet. And unfortunately, internet connectivity and equal accessibility to broadband is a conversation that we've been having on in the public sector for years and years and years saying we need this we need this now and uh, unfortunately now we're in a position where it's it's too late so there's a lot of frantic frantic catching up to do in terms of compliance regulations like you mentioned earlier Michael about the um, workers compensation claims and uh, broadband infrastructure and connectivity and equal access to equipment and and uh, work space safety. There's all of these conversations that 
that um, were going to happen over time, but now we need them to happen now. And not only now, but we needed them to happen four months ago. So there is de going, definitely going to have to be some patience and some really frantic uh, innovation happening in both the private and public sector coming together to solve these problems very urgently for, for people around the world and, and country. Yeah, and ironically, we were talking about technical challenges, and you just blipped out there for a couple of nanoseconds, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, giving evidence to what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. we're talking again uh, about the major shift to working from home. Here's Judith, who writes, as a retired business owner, I'm a firm believer in the water cooler principle. Many great new ideas or solutions to challenges occur when people meet together informally at the water cooler, copy machine, lunchroom. And Sue writes, I was living in South Africa, but was evacuated out in March. The problem is that I'm still doing my work there, and Durban is nine hours ahead of California. The time zone issue is a big deal. And Steve writes, the virtual world in the workplace continues to have its challenges. Businesses have been experimenting with remote workers for many years, and we find the result is often that we do better together. We are social by nature, and collaboration is necessary for creative and accurate results. You may want to add your voice here, and if so, we welcome your calls. Again, you can join us toll-free at 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about the major shift to working from home with Dr. Courtney McClooney, Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior at Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations, with Laurel Farr, who is founder of Distribute Consulting and the Remote Work Association, with David Streitfeld, who is a reporter with the New York Times who covers this issue. And if you have something you'd like to, ha to add to this conversation, or if you have any questions, you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. I'm going to read some emails that are coming in. Tracy writes, I've been surprised at how easy the transition has been. My general stress level is much improved, probably from not having to commute each day. We're also saving money by not driving or eating out as much, and it's easier to stay on top of household chores, and we have enjoyed more quality family time. Uh, listener tweets, I own a business with four employees, and for us, working from home is fabulous. We miss seeing our clients in person, but they're working from home too. I can't wait until I can end my lease in San Francisco. We have zero desire to go back. And here's Lee who says, I work at Visa in Foster City, and part of our culture there includes going to lunch every day with our coworkers. I really look forward to this part of the day and cherish the conversations. Now we try to have lunch chats on Zoom, but it just isn't the same. Our culture has been affected. And let me go back, if I could, to you, David Streitfeld, on this uh, notion of the culture being affected. The cultures are changing, really, aren't they, under this? Yeah, let me say first, I'm impressed by how optimistic most of the listeners reporting in are that say it's working out and generally um, things seem to be okay so far. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm too negative in seeing the potential bad consequences. But I think one is the company culture, which is picked up by osmosis. You're sitting there, you see how people behave, you talk to people at the coffee pot, and it is hard to replicate that online. People are trying, people have virtual happy hour with their company, but most of our senses, uh, most of the experience of working with people, you just can't channel it through Zoom. So I think if the workers bond less, there, 
is some feeling, some expectation, some worry that they will contribute less and have less creativity, or if they have creativity uh, left over, it'll be channeled to other projects, not also company just, one. I was just gonna say also more difficult to establish rapport and to you know talk in someone's office who would be a mentor or a potential mentor and work in that capacity uh, that often really helps and enhances. Let me hear from Rob in San Jose. Rob, go ahead, you're on the air. Thanks for waiting. Oh, sure, no problem. Hey. Um, my comment relates to the cost of doing business from our homes and how uh, employers are just um, are happy to uh, allow you to work from home for your convenience. Um, you know, especially, well, especially in this time, it's it's a necessity. But um, they're ignoring the the physical costs that we are being we're, we're not shouldering the cost of setting up a home office, the cost of um, utilities and. Uh, technology and ergonomics, um, and uh, we're also blurring the lines of you know where's you know when is quitting time. You know some of us are putting in longer days, and uh, so you know it's just it's great, it's convenient, and it keeps people off the roads. But um, you know it, it, they're just staying silent on this matter. What do you think? Let me go to you on this, Laura Farr. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, definitely one of those prime examples of when employers are not thinking about this as a comprehensive change, then there are massive pitfalls that really can cause a lot of um, harm and damage to the company and to the employee. So in healthy distributed companies, what we see instead is that employers are providing stipends to cover costs like this. Um, they're providing maintenance costs as well and um, providing equipment for the employees. Um, they're covering um, they're they're covering a lot of expenses and really supporting and equipping the employee in order to pay those costs and and so it's a win-win honestly that the company is getting a, a massive reduction in overhead costs but the employee is also having those costs covered not having to pay them out of pocket so yeah it definitely requires involvement and participation and intention and responsibility from both the end of the employer and the employee in order to make this change sustainably and, and fairly once again laurel Farr is founder of distribute consulting and the remote work association our next caller is eileen who's joining us from berkeley eileen welcome Good morning. Hi, thanks. Thanks, Michael. Um, I'm a teacher in Berkeley, and I found that, um, you know, the expectation of creating a classroom in my living room or whatever spare space I, I may or may not have in my home and then, you know, sharing it with my students, with my colleagues, with my students' families um, has felt like a lot of pressure and sort of you know, difficult when, they're, when, they're, when we're trying to maintain some sort of separation between work and life all of a sudden inviting all these different people. Um, you know, I'm also a single parent and I've had my colleagues observe my parenting as I try to manage my five-year-old while participating in a faculty meeting or, um, you know, teaching a math lesson or, or having a meeting with my students, um, you know, making comments about the things in the background in my home. You know, it just feels um, the expectation that I'm all of a sudden gonna be able to recreate school in my house um, to keep and, and keep that, I want to keep that personal connection, yet it's my home and I don't necessarily have the resources or the space to create a, a classroom. And I also have a child here. Um, 
which I don't, you know, in, in the typical professional setting. And, um, and, you know, how I manage him having a breakdown is not necessarily something I want. <laughs> well, let's hope that's not the case. <laughs> but I, I appreciate your being so candid here about what you're struggling with. It gets back uh, to some of what you uh, and your partner wrote about in the Harvard Business Review, uh, Courtney McClooney, that is the invasion of privacy uh, and the difficulty. Absolutely. There's I think early in the pandemic, people were making phrases like, oh, we're all working from home. And, and there was encouragement to remind people we are working from home during a pandemic. We are sheltering in place. This is not normal. There needs to be a change in expectations of how we do work and the type of work that we do. I totally understand the pressure to feel the need to recreate normalcy, but nothing about this is normal. Uh, and, and I do think that in order for us to move forward, um, as a society, we have to embrace changes, including expectations we have for our teachers and the type of learning environments people will find themselves in. Um, but it is really challenging. It, it should come from the top down, sort of a clear messaging of this is what we can expect uh, for from our teachers, for people who are forced to work in this unfamiliar, um, unexplored terrain that hasn't been previously, you know, um, experience in this lifetime, at least. So I feel for all the people who are feeling this pressure. Um, and, and yeah, how do we create those boundaries between this is my personal life and space and here's my very public facing role. It's really the parents have to be teachers too in this pandemic mm -hmm. in so many instances. And in fact, uh, I was struck again in that Harvard Business Review article by again, the invasion of privacy, um, but also the sense you get of um, people who well, had little time, uh, who have little time to do the kinds of things that they were able to do, maybe even when they were taking their kid to a, uh, a private lesson or a, mm -hmm. uh, instrument uh, that the kid was practicing on or anything along a soccer game, whatever it might have been. Uh, those sorts of things have been kind of swallowed up by this pandemic. And you were also writing about uh, getting, getting back to people of color. You were writing about the fact that um, uh, you're quoting somebody named Shoshana Buchanan, who said that, uh, again, she felt particularly a kind of privacy invasion because uh, somebody white was showing his tennis shoes and somebody uh, else who was white was showing uh, an adorable dog. And she just didn't feel that same kind of comfort. Right. Yeah, it's, it's really challenging because the normative professional work environment is one that defaults to white norms and cultural and values associated with primarily white people. Um, so what a black person might have as a cultural artifact in their home um, would be perceived very differently because they're already seen as less professional because of what they look like, because of um, how they speak and, and the things that, you know, we really do live in two different Americas. And as people talked about this pandemic, they said, you know, there's a, as, as the America catches the flu, like black people catch pneumonia and we really do just have different cultural norms and expectations. So when people mention like, oh, have you seen this old eighties movie? I'm like, no, that's, um, that's not what I grew up watching. You know, that's not, these aren't the type of things that I am familiar with. Um, so trying to relate to people personally, we, we tend to separate the personal and professional home life, mostly for protection, uh, this desire to not be uh, stereotyped or perceived in negative light. Um, but it makes it really challenging to form these now profess professional meets personal bonds that are happening in this work from home environment.
Once again, Dr. Courtney McClooney is Assistant Professor of Organizational Behavior at Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations. And let me read a comment. I'll go back to you, if I may, David Streitfeld, uh, a comment from, because you were talking about all the positive comments that are coming in. Let me get your reaction to something that comes from a listener named Matthew, who says, I work at a, a tech company that won't return to our office until 2021, and I live alone in San Francisco. Social interactions with coworkers happen less frequently and are generally more awkward. Going on first dates over video chat is bizarre. I find myself desperate for human interaction. There's the kind of complaint you must hear a good deal. I hear that. I, I, I sympathize with them. And obviously that goes beyond the workplace and that we're all feeling that we can't do our normal routines where we met and inter interacted with people and we're suffering from it. I do think um, there's there's a lot of increased pressure on older workers working at home who have children and they have to split their uh, their time and attention between the children and the work in a way that younger workers who do not have children do not. But I think those younger workers have their own problems with, as your uh, um, listener just said, with being isolated. And if I were working at a place like Google, you could be a young person in a small apartment and go to Google and that would be your life from nine in the morning to nine at night. And Google would do everything there for you. It was in a lot of ways an ideal job. Now all of that's gone and they're just stuck in their apartment uh, they must be incredibly restless at best, depressed at worst. I'm going to read actually uh, another comment that sort of dovetails. Arlie writes, working from home is squeezing more hours out of salaried employees and burnout rates have never been higher. Business hours are no longer adhered to and employers feel free to call on their staff at any hour of the day. Quality of life has decreased overall. And I'll read some more emails. Keith writes, working at home and all these arguments today were made at the dawn of the internet boom in the late 90s to early 2000s, then everyone migrated to campuses so they could collaborate and share ideas, etc. When the pandemic is over, I believe that will happen again. And Lloyd writes, as a gay man, I find myself de-gay my home when I am on a conference video. I haven't had to do that since I lived with my parents as a youth. I sympathize with your speaker regarding African-Americans having to modify home behavior to suit other people's expectations. And here's Michael who writes, uh, I recently left a tech startup in Hayward that has been disregarding health orders. They're keeping the office open with four feet wide desks and only about half of the people wear masks. There's very limited enforcement or recourse. I simply had to quit for the sake of my health and safety. And get you to comment on that, uh, if you would, Courtney McClooney. Yeah, so this worker or this, this listener, they said they were working from home and are worried about their safety, correct? You were cutting out a little bit there. Yes, we're understandably worried about safety because uh, mm -hmm. they're not adhering essentially to uh, where they work and they don't want to go to work, uh, uh, even though they're going back to work and not necessarily. Some of these are, of course, hybridized situations, mm -hmm. par partially at home, partially from. But I think uh, I think this is a, a, of concern that ought to be kind of tied into what we're talking about here. People um, may want to work from home because they're feeling that the place isn't safe, that they're being compelled to go work to. Absolutely. Yes. I think as we, as organizations are starting to think about more inclusive strategies, which were prompted by, like you said, the second pandemic of addressing racial inequity um, and anti-Blackness in this country, 
part of this equitable strategy needs to include the options to work from home. And it's so interesting, if we look at the disability rights movement, this desire to work from home is not new. This is something that has been set forth for decades by um, activists for those who are differently abled, and there has been denial on so many fronts. And so for us to be forced to work from home and shelter in place really shows the opportunities that are available for people across the spectrum of uh, different abilities. So having the option to work from home, I see as part of an overall inclusive, equitable strategy that companies need to consider adopting even beyond this pandemic. Uh, so it certainly does bring in calls for safety of our physical health, but there's also um, desires for wanting to include more people. And as we said before, you know, people don't no longer have to move to a very expensive San Francisco to work. If more companies are doing remote work, we can hire in different parts of the world. Um, part of that, I think, should continue uh, as companies were struggling to diversify because of the high cost of living in certain areas. This could be one way to do it and one way to decrease this um, sense of feeling unsafe at work. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think ideally there should be some choice involved if choice is mm -hmm. available. And uh, thank you for that. Here's Nancy who writes, uh, and um, I'm going to read this uh, email, but also invite those of you who haven't had a chance to speak here. If you want to give us a call, you can at 866-733-6786 and join us. 866-733-6786 again is the number to call. And Nancy writes as an academic who, and I'll go to you on this if I can, uh, Laura Farr, she says, as an academic who adopted the internet very early, working at home was perfect for thinking, writing, and prepping courses. But I would frequently go to the office to talk to people about work, but also just to find out what's going on, get social contact, and most of all, for the intellectual stimulation of talking to others. Casual contact is critical and can't be replaced by email, Slack, etc. And again, we get into that necessity many people feel to make closer contact that's not virtual. Laura, comment? Yeah. This is a very common misconception that remote work is an all or nothing commitment, that if we go remote, we're never going to see another human being again. And that, that is, is completely incorrect. Um, and I think that this uh, listener's early career and, and previous experience is a very common example of what remote work typically looks like, um, is that we're really not as isolated as people think we are. We have lots of interactions throughout our day, um, socially in, a, in our community networks. Um, in fact, I'll even contest that I have many more professional interactions throughout my day than I ever did when I was working in an office because the internet is my office. And so I'm having meetings and meeting new people all the time, all day. And I'm, I'm, my network is hundreds, if not thousands of people larger than it ever was previously. Um, and so there, there is this, this uh, beauty and hybrid of, of remote that we're not just gonna lock ourselves in a home office for the rest of our career, but really see this as an opportunity to say, well, how can this strengthen? Um, yes, there is no going back to what the office and our businesses were like before. There is no going back to what life was like in, in 2019. So we have to find and, and create the new normal anyway. So let's really just see this as an opportunity to leverage in our professional lives and say, um, all right, are we concerned about productivity? Well, let's understand that, you know, results-based tracking increases diversity and in increases communication. This can really increase productivity as long as we set boundaries in our team to prevent burnout. Um, how can we leverage global hiring to increase diversity and inclusion like Courtney was about? Um, how can we leverage 
knowledge and create events and in-office experiences um, to prevent the isolation that David was talking about. Like there's all of these opportunities to reinvent and reconstruct our businesses post-COVID. And it, it just makes sense that remote work would be part of it. Well, let me read some more listener responses uh, about working at home. Paul writes, I liked working from home at first, but now that I've been working 100% from home for several months, I feel far less engaged with my work and disconnected from co-workers. And Hillary writes, uh, I'm having a hard time getting work done because several co-workers are completely overwhelmed and no longer responding to agreements for online meetings and email reminders. These are folks with kids. It looks and sounds like total chaos when we have standing meetings. And here's Jose who writes on the positive side, the pool of employees that make up a team could be diversified in many ways, including regionally and the sources of trained personnel from universities and institutions. On the other hand, regional diversity could decrease wages and decrease the ability to organize. Lots of people weighing in here. Let me get another caller aboard. And uh, that's a caller from Hayward. Melissa, join us. Welcome. Hi, Michael. Good morning. Good morning, panel. Um, a longtime listener, first time caller. Uh, I'm really thankful for all the touch points you guys have been speaking about this morning. I have a friend who's a single dad and a teacher. He's working from home, so it's put a lot of pressure on people, and I don't want to take a lot of time. But uh, I initially called in to let you guys know that uh, I was a white-collar worker. Uh, I was making a very good salary. I was laid off during the pandemic after working from home. And uh, I unfortunately have not been able to get the EDD to kick in. And uh, being a single mom and on, you know, relatively low wage uh, at the moment, I'm trying to make ends meet. And so I told the, the folks that took my call that I am actually a skilled seamstress. I actually went to school for fashion design, and I'm making a living right now making masks at home. I'm actually sitting at my uh, sewing table right now with a pile of needles in front of me. So uh, I kind of wanted to call and give a little bit of, uh, you know, encouragement to the people that are stuck that aren't getting any income and just say, look, look at your skill set. Look at what you've got in your back pocket. Can you clean? Can you sew? Can you cook? Do what you need to do and get those bills paid because this is unprecedented. And uh, I feel for each and every one of you. And uh, I'm so glad you guys are talking about this. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for the encouragement. It's always welcome. And uh, I'm sure people will perhaps be even inspired to hear that. And I appreciate the call. I'm going to get to another caller. Eric joins us from Oakland. Eric, you're on the air. Morning. Yeah, great topic because I think a lot of people are in the situation. I know that our company had a lot of overseas and remote workers and people on different coasts, and this actually brings us all together in the same time frame sometimes, and we're all in the same playing field where people in the office aren't chatting about something that you never hear if you're not on those phone calls. But another big part is the introverts. A lot of people in the tech world are very introverted, and they don't tend to respond to Slack and have these kind of casual uh, conversations on a, a digital platform where if they're in the office sitting near me, I can easily just go to them and kind of engage them. But online, a lot of them don't respond. So many of us get cut off from our teams because the introverts just won't engage. And it's difficult. Well, I thank you for that call, Eric, and wish you the best of luck. It's good to hear from you this morning. I want to also read some more emails that are coming in, actually with a question, and I'll go to you if I can, uh, Courtney McClooney. This is... Um, from Todd, who says, I'm lucky enough to have been able to work from home before COVID, but my concern is how to get the next job. What interpersonal virtual skills and image should I be projecting through my screen to get hired? Is there a standard evolving yet? Some thoughts from you, Courtney McClooney? This is so fascinating that you asked this question. This is something that David and I were actually chatting about before the call. Um, interviewing from home, there is going to be so much bias that creeps in, unfortunately, 
I believe with interviewing while working from home, um, things about your, your background, for instance, could signal aspects of your personality, like, oh, they look sloppy or possibly unorganized. Um, and then people aren't allowed to, yes, see your full character and, and see you in person, how you interact. Uh, so my recommendations would be for companies on their end to really, again, adjust their expectations of what type of person you are expecting to see in an interview um, and what type of interaction you usually have when evaluating whether or not someone would be a good fit for your organization. And then for individuals, um, try as much as possible to acknowledge that, you know, this is unnatural for you to do an interview um, over Skype, possibly, or any other virtual platform, and to try to express as much as you can about the work that you do and less, you know, visible bodily uh, expressions. Um, so really toning down the nonverbals, which people who study communication, like majority of the way we communicate is nonverbal. So this is gonna require lots of skills on being able to express yourself through words more so than you probably have before and doing a lot more facial expressions. Um, I'm hoping that looking, thinking about the ingenuity that's coming from this moment and new businesses that are popping up, teaching people and coaching people how to express themselves through their face. <laughs> it might be an area where people can find uh, new ways of training and preparing the workforce. So that might be interesting to see over the next few months. Yeah, thank you for that, Courtney. I wanna go back to David Streitfeld. Uh, and David, could you talk about the, the concern that's been raised here about, well, getting workers who aren't responding or for that matter, you know, somebody who's much more introverted and doesn't feel as comfortable in this virtual situation? I think those people are definitely at risk in this new environment of uh, not doing a good job and losing their job. It's easy, people who work at home tell me to uh, isolate yourself from your coworkers and just to, um, you know, that increases their resentment, they tell me, you get, they get all wrapped up in it. Isolation, as we've known through history, does not breed good mental health. It's uh, one thing that struck me in listening to these callers and these emails is that workers are going to have to get a whole new skill set that they didn't necessarily have before of being able to communicate electronically, um, from what Courtney was saying, a whole new skill set to get a new job that they will not only work remotely, but will have to acquire that job remotely. It is uh, going to be difficult for some of us. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid you're framing it in ways that uh, certainly express very deeply the concern that many people have about all this. Uh, especially when it comes to mental health. Let me read some more emails though. Adam writes, I've been working from home for four years. I have a separate office in my house. I consider that critical. When I leave it, I close the door. That closed door, however, is never far away. Every time I come home and come through the front door, I am back at work. Rich writes, I tried working from home where I have an office fairly well set up on the first day of the shelter in place order. I lasted exactly 30 minutes while having a home office certainly is convenient at times when I thought I was gonna be forced to use it. I could not get out of there fast enough. And another listener says, while remote work has its challenges, I don't miss the office politics and internal clientele making demands of me face-to-face. -face. Working from home provides more boundaries. 
Christopher writes, I've often felt no affinity for tech workers who got free meals and other perks. And now that those workers are stuck at home with the rest of us, they must now learn to understand what the rest of us go through all day, every day. Shopping sucks, doesn't it? And here's Katie who says, after a few weeks of clarifying expectations, I ended up having a great time teaching remotely. I had plenty of support from my district on what tools to use and how hard to push for participation. Our office contacted every family at least twice a week for a wellness check. So we're getting a good array of responses. I thank all of you who responded and certainly thank our guests uh, in this whole discussion about this major shift, and it is a major shift. It's changing many cultures. Courtney McClooney, good to have you with us. Appreciate very much your being with us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate the conversation. And Laurel Farr, appreciate your being with us this morning. Thank you. Of course, I appreciate the invitation. And David Streitfeld, good to have you aboard as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, it was a great conversation. And thank you, our listeners. We're here with you Monday through Friday, 9 to 11. And uh, I want to say, uh, as I'm signing off here and turning uh, things over to me and Kim, stay safe, stay healthy. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.